0: If you're paying attention, you may have noticed I carried a backpack up here today just to alleviate any concerns. That's not because we're going to be here all day and all afternoon. You'll see the reason in a few moments. I invite you to take a Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 3, where we'll be looking at verses 8 through 11. As we have worked our way through the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, we come to attention today. The tension is that we've been told in chapter 2 and again in chapter 3 that we've died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ, yet we often struggle with anger and wrath and malice, slander and obscene talk and lying. And we may feel guilty and ashamed about these things, but guilt and shame are not powerful enough to bring about lasting change. This past week, Lee and I were at a Gospel Coalition meeting with other pastors in the area, and one of those pastors expressed something that I have expressed on occasion, and that is when I'm traveling on an airplane, I'm seated next to someone, and we get into a conversation, and that person asks, what do you do for a living? I'm hesitant to say, because depending on what has happened up to that point, it may cause all sorts of guilt and anxiety and shame for the person seated next to me because they may have just launched into a vulgar tirade about something in their life, and then when they find out I'm a pastor, then they feel terrible, or at least that's what they express, oh, I'm so sorry about what I just said, Um, I'm so shamed about that, I, I really should go to church more, in fact, I'm going to start going to church this Sunday. And so if I'm asked on an airplane what I do, I might say something like, I'm a shepherd. Just talk about sheep or something. But the guilt and the shame over how we speak and the attitudes of our heart and the sins of our mouth are not, those, that guilt and shame are not powerful enough to bring about lasting change. Only the grace and power of Jesus Christ can renew us in the image of our creator so that we will experience this kind of, oneness and unity where there's not slave or free Greek or Jew but Christ is all and in all so that's the goal today that's where we're going and we will now take our attention to God's word from Colossians 3 verses 8 through 11 I invite you to hear God's word but now you must put them all away anger wrath malice So the good news that I want you to take away today is that Jesus Christ has come to rescue us and to make us alive with him and in him. We are being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. And these things that we're putting off and putting on, we don't do it to earn acceptance with God. We do it because Jesus has made us alive and he's given us power through the gospel to be what we could not be on our own. So the first point that we see today is that a death has occurred we've seen this back in chapter 2 that you died to the law to the elemental spirits and you have died with Christ and your life is now hidden with Christ in God Colossians 3 3 and it's because that death has occurred because we have died with Christ that therefore, we can put off, we must put off, the things that belong to the old nature. Now, I mentioned that I brought this backpack today, and I loaded it up before I got here with a couple of weights just to make it a little more unbearable to carry for a long time, but when we, our lives are characterized by anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk and lying it's like loading up this on your back and then going out to run a marathon or a half marathon or even a cross-country meet and we've got some young people here who are cross-country runners Emma and Jack and Hannah Hartzell is and was and so I'm sure that none of them load up a backpack like this when they're actually competing in a cross-country meet it would be foolish it would be Pointless. It would be counterproductive. And so in Hebrews 12, we're told since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God so a death has occurred we have died with christ and so therefore we are to put off the things that belong to our old nature and there's a list of six things in this text i've identified three as what might be called sins of the heart anger wrath and malice and then ne- the next three are what might be called sins of the mouth slander and obscene talk and lying but there's a connection between the two because. What is in the heart will proceed and flow forth from the mouth. So we are to lay aside every weight and sin. We're to stop the stream of sin at its source, which is in the heart. And so we're going to consider these sins of the heart. And in considering these things, our focus is not on these sins, but on the freedom that Christ wants us to enjoy from these things. And so the first one that's listed is anger. In Greek, it's actually the word orge. And when I was learning biblical Greek, the way I remembered this was my mnemonic device was to think of an angry ogre, this big old guy who was just angry all the time. The Bible tells us that God is slow to anger. We read that in our call to worship this morning from Psalm 145. It's mentioned nine times total in the Old Testament, that God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And yet we are often quick to anger. And so James exhorts us, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Now we can excuse our anger in all sorts of ways. We can excuse the anger of others. We can say, well, yes, there's somebody in our household that um, blows up, but it's not every day. It's maybe only once a month. Well, someone suggested, how would you like to live next to a volcano that only erupted once a month? It wouldn't be a pleasant experience. It could be a deadly experience. And so we are not to become angry God is slow to anger, but in our sinful human state, we are often quick to anger. Some might say, well, you know, that's just who I am. I'm Irish after all, or I'm Italian after all, or I'm a pagan after all. That's who I am. But if you are in Christ, that's not who you are. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you're in Christ, you are being renewed in the image of your creator. So therefore, put off things that belong to your old nature. Years ago, Karen and I went to a homeschool convention. We were homeschooling our children. And one of the speakers said this. If your children are angry, they likely have an angry parent. Ouch. When you hear something like that, if you can't say amen, you have to say ouch. So I was looking at my family and I was thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm, I'm not hitting anyone. I'm not punching holes in the wall. I'm not yelling at the top of my voice. But communication and anger is often expressed in nonverbal ways. And I was challenged to think about the expression on my face when I was talking to different members of our family. And of course, I didn't carry a mirror around, so I don't know what the expression on my face was, but I'm grateful that I didn't have a mirror. And I'm also grateful for God's grace because now with another generation, in the family and grandchildren, I get an opportunity to grow in grace and demonstrate some additional fruit of the Spirit, hopefully. Even conventional wisdom, tells us to avoid anger. The oldest man in the world is Chitetsu Watanabe who's 112 years and 348 days old. He was born in 1907 in northern Japan. He was asked about the secret to longevity and he has this advice, don't get angry and keep smiling. When we get angry with others, when we hold on to bitterness, when we refuse to forgive, we may think that we're imprisoning someone. And in reality, we are. We're imprisoning ourselves in the prison of anger and bitterness. Some might say, well, Jesus got angry, so I can get angry. Well, Jesus had righteous anger at sin. The problem with my anger is it's too often unrighteous. It's not directed at sin, it's directed at me and the fact that I didn't get what I want, that the idol in my life has not been satisfied. So there's great blessing in being slow to anger and great danger in being quick to become angry. We see a number of verses in Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 15, 18. And Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs nineteen eleven, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And one more verse from Proverbs, Proverbs 29, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. So this topic of anger is one that's very important for us to address. So the next sin of the heart that's mentioned is wrath. Wrath is this idea of getting heated up. It's the word that means passion. We're passionately concerned and passionately... Uh, involved with a particular issue. It's like a tea kettle when it's about to boil. That wrath that's in our heart can explode when the pressure builds. I've talked before about collecting stamps, but there's another type of stamp collecting. Are you a stamp collector when someone offends you, when someone hurts you? You go, that's one, that's two, that's three, you're done, now it's time I get to exchange my wrath, my anger, my stamps for an explosion. The Bible talks about the wrath of God, and in Colossians 3, verse 6, it says, on account of these things that we've read about, the wrath of God is coming. Well, the question arises, why and how is it all right for God to have and to express wrath but not for us. The Bible talks about God expressing his wrath. It's listed repeatedly throughout the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and even in Revelation that God will pour out his wrath upon sin. Well, God's wrath is holy or righteous anger against sin, And because God is love and God is just, God must exercise wrath against what is unloving, what is ungodly. But human anger and wrath, on the other hand, is often because we didn't get our way. So there's a difference in why wrath is reserved for God and not us. The next item in this list is malice. Malice can refer to ill will or evil intent It can also simply mean wickedness. In Acts 8.22, the same word is used. It says, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So it has to do with an evil intent in the heart. That's what malice is. In 1 Corinthians 14.20, it says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So malice is evil. It's evil intent, it's evil motive. It's desiring ill will for someone else. And we've read from Titus chapter 3 this morning, which says that we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So this malice is just evil in all its different forms. In Matthew 27... Some people came to Jesus and they wanted to test him. And they said to him, tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. They brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus was aware of the malice the evil intent of their heart and he addressed it so malice this evil intent this ill will is not consistent with those who are being renewed in the image of God in Romans 1 28 through 31 Paul says since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind and to do what ought not to be done they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice that is what God gives people over to but it's not appropriate it's not consistent with those who are being renewed in the image of their creator and so Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 says cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump As you really are unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So anger, wrath, malice, these are sins of the heart, attitudes of the heart that well up within us. And they're inconsistent with those who are being renewed in the image of God, their creator. And so, these sins of the heart, Jesus addressed them. Jesus endured the anger of man so that we might know God's favor. And Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross to free us from sinful wrath. And then we come to these sins of the mouth. And you can be sure that whatever is in your heart will find its way out of your mouth. Some of us grew up in an age where it was not uncommon to have your mouth washed out with soap, or at least to have someone threaten to do that, to mention it as a possibility. Today, that would likely be viewed as child abuse. But some in that earlier generation understood that what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11, that what comes out of the mouth defiles a person, and so they took what comes out of the mouth very seriously. And so if you said something nasty to your parents or a sibling, or you said some filthy, vulgar word, you might hear something about having your mouth washed out with soap, or you might actually experience that. So Jesus said in Matthew 15, 11, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. There is unusual power in the mouth. Every kind of animal can be tamed. Some of you are gifted at taming animals. You're the horse whisperer, you're the dog whisperer, and you can train animals to do all sorts of things. But none of us can train our tongue, our mouth. That requires the grace of God to overpower our mouth and our tongue. There's unusual power in the mouth and in the tongue. We can speak life, we can speak death. Even conventional wisdom regarding speech and talking says things like, think. T, is it truthful? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? You may have heard that growing up. Is what you're saying truthful, helpful, inspiring, necessary, kind? If not, don't say it. Or the other one that I heard more frequently in my family and maybe you've heard, If you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all. And some of us might respond, okay then, I don't want to say anything nice, so I'll just be quiet. I don't feel like saying anything nice about anyone, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. The sins of the heart and the sins of the mouth are closely related. In Luke 6, 45, we read that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in the heart will find its way out of the mouth. Jesus said the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks. So we've got three different sins of the mouth which really flow from the heart, and the first one mentioned is slander, literally blaspheming. It's saying something false, when we slander or blaspheme and speak false or evil things, it's a very serious matter. In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, literally moron, will be liable to the hell of fire. Those are serious and strong words. And so we must not call anyone, including ourselves, a moron or an idiot or a fool. Don't say that about yourself, oh, I'm such a moron, I'm such a fool, I'm such an idiot, I did this or that. You may have done something stupid, you may have done something wrong, but you are created in the image of God and so is everyone else around you. So do not say you are a moron or a fool or an idiot. Every person is created in the image of God. And so that is blaspheming. It's false speech to say that about someone. And that's why Jesus said, that will make you liable to hell. The next item in this list is obscene talk. It's just abusive language. The word here is used only here in the New Testament. It's a compound word made up of the word for shameful and the word for speech, and so very literally, it's shameful speech. It's speech of which we ought to be ashamed. When I became a follower of Jesus, I knew that it wasn't appropriate for me to tell certain kind of jokes anymore, but it took a while longer for the Holy Spirit's work in my life until I stopped laughing at those kind of jokes. When I was in college, I worked a couple summers Summers in a lumberyard, and one summer I was working in the truss factory with the huge roof trusses had a huge hydraulic um, table and lay out the parts and stamp metal presses into them and When I first got to work, one of the coworkers came up and informed me that the boss just hired a Jesus freak. He didn't realize he was talking to the Jesus freak and so he didn't know any better and he kept using his obscene talk. He didn't know I was training to be a pastor and so he hadn't learned, oh I'm sorry I won't talk that way in your presence anymore. Obscene talk is talk of which we should be ashamed. Then the third item is lying. It's the word pseudomai. Pseudo means false. Pseudoscience is false science or fake science. We lie to make ourselves look better. That's the reason we do it. We say that we did do something or didn't do something because it'll help others think well of us. We sometimes hear about so-called white lies, but truth is truth and lie is a lie. So over against all those sins of the heart and sins of the mouth, there is a great good news in this text that new life has begun. We saw it last week in verse 7 of colossians 3 you're not who you used to be we no longer walk in the things that we used to walk in because by the grace of god we've been made alive we have died with christ we've been made alive we've been seated in the heavenly places with him so if you are in christ you're a new creation you now have the power to say no to these sins of the heart and the mouth if you're not in christ i would urge you to trust him today to come to him today and say I need you, Lord. I can't control my tongue. I can't control what's in my heart. I need your power to make me new, to renew me in the image of my creator. So Paul is using this analogy of putting off and putting on. He says, you must put off these things because you have put off and now you're putting on the new self. You've put on the new self. It is described in a past tense as though it's already completed, and yet it's put next to a being renewed in the image of the Creator. So in one sense it's completed, it's completed in the mind and heart of God, but it's being worked out on a daily basis in our lives as we submit to the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. These sins of the heart, these sins of the mouth, Jesus addressed them all. Jesus endured lies so that we might walk in truth. Jesus was lied about, He endured cursing and slander so that we might know blessing. Jesus lived among moral filth so that we might be pure. He became sin who knew no sin that we in him might become the righteousness of God. So we are being renewed if you're in Christ, if you're trusting him, you're being renewed day by day. And Paul echoes this in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So it's important to note that this is God's work. Those are passive verbs. Be transformed, being renewed. It's not our work. We don't initiate it. We can only cooperate with God in the power of the Spirit as he begins this work of renewing us. And as you experience God's renewal in Christ, There are vertical and horizontal dimensions of this new life. When you're satisfied with Christ, when you come to see Christ as all, verse 11, Christ is all and he's in all. When you see Christ in that way, then your mouth will make much of Christ. You will be eager to praise him, to show that he is preeminent, that he is supreme in all things. When you have tasted of the grace and mercy of God in Christ, then your mouth will be a conduit of grace to others. That's what God is seeking to produce in us, that our mouths will be conduits of grace, that the grace that we've received in our heart will flow out of our mouths to others. And so there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In the ancient world. Scythian referred to a people group located along the northern coast of the Black Sea. To the Greeks, the Scythians were a violent, uneducated, uncivilized, and altogether inferior people. And some of these people were coming to faith in Christ, and they were becoming part of the church. And you can imagine that people would look at them and think, a Scythian in the church? Are you kidding me? But when you recognize the grace of God that has been displayed and shown to you, then you can express grace to one another. Your mouth and your heart will be a conduit of grace to others. And so blessing rather than cursing will begin to characterize what flows from your lips and from your life. I've said that these are passive verbs, being renewed being transformed. It's God's work. We can't do it in and of ourselves, but by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, we can cooperate with God's Spirit. We can say, yes, Lord, I need that. We can say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips, And let them be filled with messages from thee take my will and make it thine it shall be no longer mine take my heart it is thine own it shall be thy royal throne so we can't add anything to god's work all we can add is our amen and say yes lord I need that. Would you work in me? Would you keep on renewing me in the image of the creator so that my lips and my life will be full of blessing and praise to you and blessing and life to others? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the grace that we know in Jesus Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, Lord, we say take our hearts, take our mouths, take our lives, and be glorified in all of them. Be glorified in the way we speak and relate to you. Be glorified in the way that we think about and speak about and speak to and relate with one another. May it all show that Christ is all and in all so that he will get the glory and that we will have increasing fullness of joy. We ask it in his name and for his sake, amen.